I love my wife very much, and she loves me very much, but we do not work on projects together. It's just one of the rules to keep everyone and the Pursley household happy. We just, we love each other, but we just do not work on projects together. And Thursday night, there was a little project that I was attempting unsuccessfully. There was a, a toilet shutoff valve, and it was stuck, and had a running toilet, but in order to fix the running toilet, had to first get the shutoff valve stopped, and then because of where the shutoff valve was located, I couldn't shut off just that valve. I had to shut off the water supply to the whole house, and I watched a couple YouTube videos, and this ranged anywhere from a minute and a half fixed to 15 minutes, and so I got my wrenches out, and went on down and turned off the water supply to the house and uh, broke the valve in half, but the other part just was not coming off the, the pipe. And uh, that was a little bit of an issue when we passed the third hour that the water was off in the house for at that point. And so I called a emergency plumber after a after a few trips of having Brooke run different tools down to me. We don't work on projects together, but she's still the gopher once the project gets to the really hard phase. Generally, the gopher process works with the kids at first, and then they've learned that I get hot and hungry, I get cranky, so they'll bring me snacks when I'm working on projects without me asking for them, and that's my cue, okay, and maybe I'm getting a little loud and cranky. Uh, but. But then after that stage, then, then Brooks the gopher, and um, after that stage, we call somebody. So we'd reached, you know, that stage where we, we called somebody. Dad, insult injury. The plumber was there for like five minutes. It was really embarrassing. Uh, but that was our Thursday night. The water was back on then, and everything was fine. But Friday, I, t I take Fridays off, and, and Brooke has off Fridays, and, and so Friday afternoon, we're we're just around the house, and, and Brooke's in the other room, and I'm like, I'm, I'm going to make her laugh. Not, not thinking of anything from the night before, because, you know, the project's solved. I'm way past that. I'm not dealing with the trauma still of not having water on for hours at a time and running random tools and then having to call an emergency plumber. To me, that's all over. It's a distant memory. My wife's what we call a processor, so it takes her a little while longer, apparently, to get over things. And I was in the other room, and I just said, hey, Brooke... And she was working on an art project. I'm not really sure why, but it's one of the things that she enjoys in life, to do art. And apparently, me calling out to her triggered something in her mind, like she was going to have to run and grab me a tool from the night before. And so she super glued her finger to the project that she was working on. And somehow this became my fault, because I called her name. Which, all of a sudden, this is, this is descending into territory I was not at all attempting to go. This was supposed to be lighthearted. It was supposed to be funny. It was supposed to make her laugh. And now, her finger is super glued to an art project that she's working on, and it's my fault because of the trauma that we experienced the night before when I called her to run me down a few different tools. Sometimes in life, we get different results than what we ever imagine are coming. Sometimes in life we think, hey, I'm going to make somebody laugh and they're having a bad day or the joke's not funny. And all of a sudden it has the opposite. Sometimes in life we think, hey, I'm going to do this for somebody and they're going to be really surprised and it's going to make them feel really special. And it doesn't. You get the opposite response. 
And you know if you've ever been there, especially in the dating phase of things, where you're like, this is going to be great, going to love it. And you do it, and you just see immediately, you're like, that's not the reaction I was hoping for. Sometimes in life, we get results that are different. As we've gone through the book of Acts so far, what we've seen is we've seen people who love God. And deep down, they love people. Because if they didn't love people, they wouldn't feel compelled to go tell people about the hope of Jesus. If they didn't love and care about people, they wouldn't sacrifice their lives for the cause of Jesus. And sometimes in the way that we rationalize things, sometimes in the way that we romanticize things, not just in our lives in general, but in our, our, our spiritual aspect as well. We think, wow, when I do this, people are really going to understand. And the light's going to turn on. And they're going to give their life to Jesus. or They're going to respond in this way or that way. And the brutal truth that we're going to be reminded of this morning, that we're all reminded of from time to time in life, is sometimes you can love people really well. And sometimes you can serve people and do your best for them. And sometimes it's viewed that it's not enough. And sometimes it isn't met with gratitude. And the question that we have to ask when we encounter those circumstances and those situations is then what? Do we stop? Do we become jaded? Do we throw in the towel? Do we say that's it? And if we don't say it with the words that we speak, is that what our actions communicate? This morning we're going to look at the majority of Acts chapter 21. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. It's a free resource that you can find in whatever app store you utilize on your phone or on your tablet. Once it's installed on your device, there are a number of great features within the Bible app. One of the features that we use every single week here at Lakeside is called events. You can either enable your locations or you can just write in Lakeside Community Church. Algoma will pop up. You can follow along with us right there on your device. If you have a traditional Bible with you this morning, again, we're walking through the New Testament book of Acts together this morning, Acts chapter 21. It's the fifth book of the New Testament, right after the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Next is the book of Acts. If you're joining us via the stream this morning, thanks so much for joining us. My name is Brian. I'm part of the team here at Lakeside, and the verses will be available for you on the screen below as we journey through the majority of Acts chapter 21. We start in verses 1 to 4 where we read these words. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Cus, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. 
And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now, as we saw last week when we walked through Acts chapter 20 together, the Apostle Paul wants to go back to Jerusalem. He wants to be there for the for the remembrance of Pentecost. He wants to be there for the remembrance of when the church was born. And at the end of Acts chapter 20, Paul had just said goodbye to a group of people that he knew he would never see again in his life, the Ephesian elders. Now he arrives in Tyre. And this, the message that the Apostle Paul is given in Tyre is this, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. Now, <clears throat> When I was growing up, almost every time I went over to my grandparents' house, before we would leave, they would always say to me, well, you don't have to rush off. It didn't matter if I was there for an hour or five hours. It did not matter. That was something that they would always say to me is, you don't, you don't have to go. You don't have to rush off. It's, it's this idea that when you're around people that you love, you want them to stay longer. You want to spend more time together. And sometimes that's what goes on in, in our lives. Sometimes we're around people uh, for a really long time, and we're like, no, I want to be around you more. Sometimes we're around people for a short time. We're like, oh, don't go so soon. Now, we might think maybe that's why they, they just want to spend more time with the Apostle Paul, but that's not what's going on here. What's going on is this feeling within them. If you've ever had that, just that feeling that maybe you can't put your finger on, or maybe you know that feeling is that God is conveying something to you, that you've just got this feeling that trouble is coming. You've just got this, and if, if you don't even know how to explain it to somebody else, you just have to experience it. And here Paul is in Tyre, and he's telling them, I'm going to Jerusalem, and they're experiencing that, that restlessness that ultimately, in this case, God is providing. It's not just intuition. God, they, they feel like God's providing in, in them because they feel like what is going to happen to Paul is not good, and they, they love Paul, and they care about him. And so they say, don't go. Don't go. But he was still going to go. And when our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city, and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. Luke and Paul are heading to Jerusalem, and the Christians at Tyre are sad to see them go. They don't want them to go. They don't want them to encounter the hardship that they're about to encounter. And so they all, they walk outside of the city and they go to the beach together and they're saying their goodbyes. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven. And stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. 
So Paul and Luke leave Tyre. They now arrive at Caesarea. They're staying with a, with a man named Philip and his family. He has four unmarried daughters that all live with him. They all prophesy. And now another prophet comes into the fold, and his name is Agabus. And he comes down from Judea. And all of a sudden, he walks into the house where Paul and Luke are staying, into Philip's house. And he takes Paul's belt off of him, which, interesting, okay, I'm, I, I'd probably feel a little uncomfortable if I'm over at somebody's house and another man walks up to me and just takes my belt off me, all right, that's a little troubling, and then, then he takes Paul's belt and he binds his own hands and he binds his own feet and he says, this is what's awaiting you. This is what's going to happen to you when you go to Jerusalem. Now, I don't know about you, but if I've had people that I love and I've, had, I've spent a lot of time with and they're like, don't go, and then I spend time with more people that I love that God has used in my life, and, and they're like, don't go, and then a prophet comes in and he starts taking my belt off, and he's like, this, you're going to be in chains you're going to be arrested. You're going to be imprisoned. I'm probably thinking, you know, Pentecost was cool and all. And Jerusalem's a nice town. I don't really need to go. We can adjust the travel plans. A lot of beautiful places in the world. A lot of places I can do ministry. I don't know about this one. Those are the thoughts that are running through my mind. And when he heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Now Luke is urging Paul, don't go. And then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Paul wouldn't be persuaded. He knew where God was calling him to go. He knew it wasn't going to be easy. He knew it was going to be incredibly difficult, and he would not be persuaded. And what this says about Paul is one thing, but we've got to wrestle with what does this say about us? When God calls us to do something, and it's that unmistakable call that God gives us. And we know beyond any doubt in our mind that this is what God has called us to do. And all of a sudden we survey it. And it looks really challenging. And it looks really difficult. And people that we love are like, I don't know. I don't think you should. Why not? Not a good idea on that one. And then the data starts to come in. And all of the data would point to no. Mm -mm. 
Don't do this. And then our, our closest friends and advisors say, yeah, don't do it. But God calls us to it. What do we do? Because I promise you, if you walk with God, there's going to be something that God calls you to do that you don't want to do. There's going to be something that God calls you to do that all the advisors and, and everybody from the outside looking in would say, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, you probably shouldn't do that one. There's going to be things that God calls you to do that the people who are closest to you say, I'm, I'm having trouble getting my mind around that one. And the question that we have to answer, all of us individually, is in those moments, how do we respond and what do we do? Do we respond like Paul? It says, I don't care what it costs me. This is what God has called me to do. After these days, we got ready, went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us Gladly. You catch that? In Tyre, they warned Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. He said, I'm going. And they loved him. And they went out to the beach and they had a farewell ceremony for him. They loved on him. He departed. He goes to Caesarea. And the, the believers in Caesarea say, don't go. Paul says, I don't care if it costs me my life, I'm going. And some of the Christians from Caesarea went with him. In every situation and in every circumstance, that's not possible. But when I have a choice, that's the type of friend and the type of follower of Jesus that I want to be. That when I look at the data and it makes no sense, I'm going to tell you, it doesn't make any sense. I think you're a little crazy on this one. And you're like, no, Brian, this is, this is what God has called me to do. And I see all the reasons it shouldn't work. And I see all the challenges that are out there. And I see the cost. But it's still what God has called me to do. And I want to be the friend. And I want to be the that is willing to head towards the fire with you. 
doesn't mean that people are bad if they can't. And there's certainly situations where everyone can't. But sometimes we can be those people of support. They arrive in Jerusalem, and the brothers there receive them gladly. On the following day, verse 18 says, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry, and when they heard it, they glorified God. He arrives in Jerusalem. There are James and, and other elders who are present. And what do they do? They recount everything that they have seen God do. They recount everything that God has done. And they celebrate. They celebrate the things that they have seen God do. They celebrate how God has worked. And again, we, we talked about this recently, that this is one of the areas that I, I'm just naturally deficient in. Because when things go well, that's great. I'm on to the next. But when things don't go well, I want to pull it apart and analyze it. And, and just don't really take the time to celebrate the milestones, the accomplishments, and the achievements of, of how God works and how God blesses. And I don't say that as a positive thing at all. And my hope is that my deficiency hasn't led to a deficiency at Lakeside where we see God work and we see God do really incredible, crazy, cool things and we're just on to the next thing. Because we've got another program coming up. We've got another ministry to launch. We've got more people to reach with the hope of Jesus. That we take the time and we celebrate the lives that God has transformed here. We celebrate the fact that people have found Jesus here. We celebrate the fact that people have come back to Jesus in this place. We celebrate the fact that we have the opportunity to take the love of Christ to our community. It's why we do things like Friday when we're doing Fall Fest. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. It's going to be a blast. People are going to have fun. They're, they're going to love decorating their trunks. You know, honestly, that's not my thing. Like, if you're like, hey, we need you to decorate a trunk, I'd be like, I don't know how to decorate a trunk. What? Okay, like, I'll try. But, you know, now, other people are really artistic. You're like, how do you not know how to decorate a trunk? That's the saddest thing I've ever heard. And, and you, could, you could pull out 37 ideas in an hour that I could never accomplish. Why? Because that's one of the ways that God has gifted you. It's one of the things that you're able to do, and God hasn't gifted me in that way. But again, as we've talked about, the body of Christ, the church, works best when we all utilize the talents and the gifts and the abilities that God has given us to, to do different things. And so for some of you who are artistic, and, and for some of you who are creative, and for some of you who love getting kids just sugared up and then watching their parents hate their lives as they're like, oh my, I'm going to have to deal with all the implications of this. And that's not even factoring in the dental bills. You're going to have a great time passing out the candy. Others of you are like, yeah, that's not my thing, but hey, we're having a cookout. Awesome. I can eat. Great. You know? And, and so that's why you're here. And, and other things that, but what is the reason that we do this? To bring people closer together. To serve together. 
to ultimately point people to Jesus. And God has positioned us and put us in this place. He's given us incredible people. You. He's given us resources. He's given us this platform in a region that desperately needs Him. And this is what drives, and this is why we do what we do. To lift high the name of Jesus and to continue to proclaim His name. And when God moves and when God works, we are going to celebrate the ways that God moves and that He works. I don't know about you, but I am thankful for what God's been doing in this place. And my hope and my prayer is that He will continue. And that we won't get in the way. And as He does continue, that we would celebrate how God continues to move and work. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. All right, so now some context for what's going on here. Remember, Acts is a book that's happening in a, in a transitory time. The, the hope of Jesus is still being spread. People who were Jewish and awaiting the promised Messiah are hearing the message of Jesus. Some of them are receiving the hope that Jesus offers. Others of them are rejecting that message, missing that Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. But what we see is there are thousands of Jewish Christians here. They've received the message of the Messiah. They recognize that the Messiah promised is and was Jesus. They put their faith and trust in him. But they are still walking according to their customs. They're still walking in the ways that they grew up. And they're still functioning as if they're under all of the law. And they've heard what Paul is teaching. And they're not happy. Because Paul is teaching people that all of a sudden, you don't have to be circumcised. And this is the thing that we talked about way back when we talked about the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. But the message of the Jewish Christians to Paul is there are thousands of Jewish Christians. And they worship Jesus differently than you do. And they're going to have a real problem. That you're here. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what you have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. So they're asking, how can we appease these thousands of Jewish Christians who are going to be mad at Paul because of what he taught? How can we appease them? 
and they come up with a plan. There's four men who've taken a Nazarite vow. We don't have time to look at that today. It's the same one that Paul took that we talked about when we were looking at Acts chapter 18. And their approach is, hey, we have these four men. Why don't you, Paul, go and pay their special offering that was part of the Nazarite vow? Follow them into the temple, and you pay with your own money their special offering. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and they went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. So again, they reference the fact that we've dealt with this. We dealt with this in the Jerusalem Council, Acts chapter 15, and the Jerusalem Council ultimately said the people that follow Jesus should worship God first and foremost, honor God with every aspect of your life, including your sexuality, and honor one another. These should be the hallmarks of people that love and follow Jesus. And then what we see is Paul took the men, the four Jewish men who had taken the Nazarite vow, he took them and he paid their special offering. Now, Paul could have easily said no. It wasn't his responsibility to pay their offering. He wasn't doing anything wrong. Why did he need to worry about appeasing other people? It's not his responsibility. Except that it was. Because he loved and valued other people. And even though he had no obligation to pay someone else's offering, what he recognized is the person and the people who are mad at me for wrong reasons. They still matter. Because they still matter to God. And I could puff out my chest and I could say, I'm not doing that. It's not my responsibility. But instead... I could try to win over the heart of those people. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place, for they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple and at once the gates were shut. The Jews from Asia are there. They start a scene. They turn the crowd against Paul. They're accusing him. They are beating him. He's trying to go over and above to appease these very people. And sometimes when you love 
people, sometimes when you serve people, sometimes when you give your best for other people, sometimes when you do things for other people, it still won't end well. And the question then is, how do we respond? Do we just throw in the towel? Do we just become jaded? Do we say, if you're not going to appreciate it, fine, I'm done? And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Paul is being beaten. All of a sudden, the tribune, who's a Roman ruler, overseeing a thousand guards, security forces, he arrives. And Paul still gets arrested. And some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another, and as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him, Paul, to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd, for the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. This is a chaotic scene. A riot is breaking out. Paul is beaten so badly that the soldiers are having to carry him out. How do the people respond? The people that Paul was going above and beyond for, they cheered. They're excited. This is the harsh truth. Sometimes serving God, sometimes serving others, sometimes going above and beyond. doesn't seem to pay off. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it's going to be worth it. Sometimes there won't be gratitude. Sometimes people will attack us. And the question we have to ask is, what do we do then? And my hope and my prayer for my life, and for yours, is that one of the ways that we would wear Jesus is that we would say, God, I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to be the friend that even when I don't get it, but somebody else knows what you've called them to do, I'm going to be right there next to them. And I'm going to support them. And I'm going to love the people who are unlovable. And I'm still going to choose to serve. Even when it doesn't benefit me.
because that's what you've called us to do. And that's who you've called us to be. God, I pray that we would be people to follow you wherever you call us to go. That love, even when we're lied about, that serve even when it's taken for granted, not appreciated. That support even when we don't understand. We think it's a great idea. But I pray that would be the type of people that we are. And I pray that you would use that to communicate your message in this region. We pray as we have an opportunity on Friday. God, we pray that the word would travel. We pray that there would be an excitement. Families around the region, they would come and they would have a great time at Fall Fest. God, that we could build relationships and ultimately leverage those relationships to introduce people to a hope. A relationship with you, Jesus. So we just pray that you would bless that event. That there would be an energy and an excitement. God, that you'd even give us a, a window of nice weather. That we'd build lasting I pray for the person here that's just tired. Because, God, they love you and they're following you and they're serving people. But they're taken for granted. They're underappreciated. And it seems like everything they do to go above and beyond just doesn't matter. I pray they wouldn't quit. I pray they wouldn't become defeated. But I pray you would just remind them how much people matter. They would have the resolve to continue. Use us, Jesus, to spread your hope. It's in your name we pray. Amen.